All right. Um, think about how I can uh, get us started with some of the the thinking that's involved with tonight's passage. Uh, tonight's um, topic is going to be to confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. So easy topic, right? Easy. Just just do it, right? No. Before we get into that, I want you to think about. Um, I don't know if you did anybody take PE when they were, especially in their younger years, maybe uh, six, eight, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, like like really young. You guys play certain games in PE. Does any game stick out to you that really was your favorite? Soccer, dodgeball. Ooh, yeah, I love dodgeball. Also got me in trouble a lot of times. Yeah. Softball, okay. Anybody else? Wiffle ball. Did anybody? Everything, yeah. As long as we're getting out of the classroom, right? Just doing whatever. Uh, and to me, it was a favorite. I wanted to win every That was like what I wanted, I dreamed about every single day was PE time. And it helps even more when the PE teacher is like, he, they're awesome. You know, they're just, they're just excited and they have a way of making everything fun, right? Well, I don't know if, has anybody played games like, um, maybe freeze tag or different forms of freeze tag. Maybe you have to go and, uh, and there's different games and, uh, and actually these games are uh, even like uh, as adults you can play these things like capture the flag uh, with paintball guns and all kinds. So it could get even, even more complicated as, as you grow older. But uh, you think about bringing somebody back or restoring somebody. We play freeze tag and I'm, I'm tagging everybody and you got to stand there like this right? And you're waiting for Tammy to come, hurry up, run and come and save me, you know, whether that's through the arms or under the legs. But I want to, you know, I want you to bring me back, right? I want you to bring me back to life and restore me. And I remember there was a few of us that if we would restore the other one, that person had to bring candy for us or snacks for us the next day. Like we would remember, okay, you remember I brought you back to life. You were dead. And we would kind of keep these, keep track of this stuff, and, and it was so, it was so fun. Well, I use that as kind of a springboard because when we think about this idea of confessing and praying for one another, open your Bibles to James chapter 5. James chapter 5 and verse 16. Now, James obviously, as you guys know, is one of my favorite books. It's so practical. It is so practical. If you read James and come away with not knowing how to do Christianity. Either you slept through the whole thing or you didn't even really read it. You just glazed over it because this book tells you how to be a Christian. Very practical in nature. There's no high theological thoughts. Not to say there isn't any theology or doctrine in there, but there isn't anything as far as this is, um, this is something that's theoretical or their philosophy. something to think about. It's how you do it. How do you do Christianity? Well, there's a passage later on in chapter uh, 5, James chapter 5, towards the end of the book. And starting in verse 13, that's going to be our passage, verse 13 throughout the end of the book here. And that's where I want us to hone in on. Um, As we think about how we study our Bibles, we understand that context is what drives how we take any meaning away from Scripture, right? Right? That context is what develops what the Bible says. We want the Bible to tell us what it says, not Evan to put into what I think it's supposed to mean. And so when we think about context, 
Context flows backwards. So if you're like, who's talking? Who's the one that's writing? Who's, you would go backwards, right? You would go backwards in the verses until you find, what's the subject? What's this stuff about meat sacrifice to idols in 1 Corinthians? Well, you would just read backwards until the writer begins that topic. That way you're aware of what's being talked about. But also, not only does the context flow backwards, the context also flows forward. And sometimes we forget about that. Well, the context, I believe, in uh, James chapter 5 He's going to really give us the end goal of everything he's going to talk about in chapter 5. And that end goal is, I believe, found in verse number 19. Somebody read that for us. James chapter 5 and verse 19, nice and loud. My brethren, if any among you stays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. You see why I used the freeze tag analogy. He says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from what? Wanders from the truth. Now think about that word wander. Does anybody else have a different word in their Bible? Strays. What does it mean to wander or stray? Okay, to walk away from. But in what way am I walking? Is it a deliberate to wander away? Is that I'm going and I'm leaving? And, or is it kind of just I've lost focus? I've been distracted? It's what our kids do while we're at the supermarket, guys. They're following, you know, and they're, all of a sudden they're down this way. It's, it's I, love my, I love the little guy Josiah, but that's what Josiah happens. What happens to Josiah? We were talking about him in Bible class yesterday. And we're like uh, being, some, I think it was, we're talking about Jesus being left at uh, the temple. And uh, Josiah popped up. I'm like, I can't think of how many times Josiah's been left here at the building. You know, and it's just, it's just to him, it just happens. Hey, Evan, can I use your phone? I, you know, my parents left again. And I'm like, okay. Just another, you know. But he's with all of us. I remember Chris had, when he had his motorcycle, he's like, I can take you back. And Josiah's like, uh, probably not. You know, I'll, I'll call my dad. But uh, you think about what it means to wander away. It, you're, you're just slowly, and whether you're aware of it or not, it, you just kind of stray away from it, right? And so the context here is people who are wandering away from what? From the truth. We know that Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. So in reality, it's somebody who's wandering away from who? From Jesus himself. And so when somebody wanders away from the truth, we know that the Bible teaches that if I am going on willfully sinning and I know I need to, I need to restore that relationship back with my, my Lord and I don't do it, at some point the blood of Christ is no longer beneficial to me. I lose salvation. Well, here's what James is going to talk about when he says, if anyone among you wanders away from the truth and someone, somebody in your church family will go out of their way and do what to them? Return them or bring them back. I love that uh, Josh was able to talk about admonishing one another. You know, sometimes I, I forget what the, what the true meaning of admonish means. Sometimes I only think one side of it is just to build up, to compliment, to encourage. But I forget the other side of that is sometimes we need the kick in the rear. We need to be confronted to say, man, what you're doing is wrong. You, you, you are not supposed to treat your wife like that. 
God is not okay with you treating your boss this way. You're not working. You're just taking and you're not providing for your family. Sometimes we need that, right? And so the person that's wandering away from the truth, a member in the family of God is going out of their way and trying to bring them back. And that's the context. And he'll go on to say, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover, um, some, some translations say hide, the meaning really is to cover, not, not to hide. You can't hide anything from God, right? Sins are made, made, but what covers sin? The blood of Christ, right? And so the idea is the covering of the multitude of sins. And so that's the context is what do we do with people who are wandering away from the truth? And I want us to think about this. A lot of us know people right now. The moment we talk about wandering from the truth, some people very dear to us come to mind. That may be ourselves. I may be here physically, but man, mentally and spiritually, I, have, I feel myself wandering away from the truth. Well, what does James say in regards to this? Let's start back in verse 13 now. Back in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? James says. Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. I love that. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, that's an important word, and in some translations that word is not there. It's there in the Greek. Therefore, this is a connection. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Before we move on any further, we need to note that the two imperatives right there, those two commands in verse 16, to confess and pray, are what we call um, uh, uh, present imperatives. And that means there's no past tense. There's no, I've done it one time, just like we talked about obeying the gospel. You know, brother, obeyed the gospel as if obeying is a one-time deal. No, we're constantly obeying. It never stops. And so if we, could, if we could translate that according to the tense of that verb, it should be, therefore, verse 16, make a practice confessing sins to one another. He says, and make a practice praying for one another that you may be healed. Verse, uh, uh, continuing on, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruits. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, now we see the connection there. And someone brings him back. Let him know that whoever brings him back um, will save his soul and cover a multitude of sins. And so the idea is somebody who is struggling with sin, and it's affecting them so much 
that he's going to liken sickness and sin. And they're almost joined at the hip here. Do you notice that? Because in verse 13, he says, if anyone, um, if anyone, well, actually verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Sick. That word means to be weakened or kind of heavy laden, basically overwhelmed. Now that could apply to physical ailments or it could apply to non-physical ailments. You know, has anybody been made um, uh, sick because of stress? Has anybody been made, made sick because of um, worry? How many of us parents, man, had to stay up all night because of what's going on in the family? Not just the children, but maybe the rest. And how many of that has affected our bodies? I remember um, every time we were in the hospital, whether we were dealing with uh, one of the, the girls being born or something like that, I remember people were just saying, don't forget to eat. Don't forget to eat. And, uh, and, and that's so true that you could be so worried that you forget to feed yourself, right? And the result of that is I become malnutritioned. Uh, I can become dehydrated. Does anybody out here forget to drink water? And then you go on a little hike, something small, and then you got the headache. You start feeling hyperventilated and all those things. Um, so we understand that uh, the sickness is paired. Notice, and here's what I want us to focus on is paired with sin to a degree. He says in verse 14, If anyone is among you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church, and let them, the elders, pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, it's, it's important for us because a lot of people, um, in especially faith groups, will really elevate this anointing oil, right? Um, I've got some of Crystal's family who they carry around jars of anointing oil and, you know, they, they'll cover it all over. Remember one time it kind of smeared my forehead. I didn't know what they put on me, but it was like before they pray, that's what they, they'll do is they'll carry that around. Well, the main verb in that, in that verse is praying. It's not the anointing oil that heals. It's the prayer that is, that is what is the moving factor. Matter of fact, if you look, that, that anointing actually can be translating, translated rub or massage. Does anybody work with oils here? Does anybody work with things that you rub on the, on the surface of the skin? That's the idea here. And so it, it could be translated oil, oiling him with oil. <laughs> it could be translated that way. But anointing is kind of their way of not repeating that same word. But I think it's kind of done us a disservice. So it should be rub or massage that person who is sick with oil in the name of the Lord. Verse 15, in the prayer of faith. So notice it's the prayer that's what's the, what, that's what's the power. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed what? Sin. So you see the sickness and the sin to some degree is connected. Um, let me ask us this, and maybe we can, we can open it up here because we kind of went a little fast. I understand that, but I've got to try to get through this. Are there certain sins that can affect me? And the result of that would be sickness on my behalf? 
What are some examples? We talked about one, can, is, is worrying to some degree, is that, can that become sinful? Absolutely. Can that affect me and cause me to become sick? Yes. Chris? Sexual sin. That's exactly what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 1 and 2, that God has given them over to their, basically, my, the, my fleshly desires. If I'm going around sleeping with people, what can be a consequence of that? Well, I can contract diseases. Okay. Miss Carol? Okay, so how might that affect my, and make me this? Sick, right? Oh, okay, I get where you're going. Okay, that's, a, that's, I like that. I see where you're going with that. Have you ever told a lie and kept a lie that it actually made you sick to your stomach? Like you could not... You could, it bothered you so much, it weighed so much on your conscience that it affected your, 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 your body and your being? Absolutely. Josh, you had, you had some thoughts before we started. Do you have any? Yeah. Um, the guilt, you know, that the guilt can, can make you sick. Um, there's also fear, you know, where, um, like, one guy I've told you guys about is Alfred Jean, who was always a bootlegger, and so he always had fear um, of, of being um, beat up or robbed or something like that, and it was leading to heart problems, you know, he was having some heart problems, and once he became a Christian, and he was able to get rid of clear conscience and kind of not afraid anymore, his, his heart was able to kind of recover in some of those, those ways as well. So. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're coming fresh off of, uh, well, I guess in a way we're still in it, but this whole deal with the coronavirus, right? And how many people were affected physically because of staying in the home 24 hours a day for so long? Not just physically, but what about emotionally? Being apart from a social life, can that affect me and lead to this? Right? It's not necessarily sinful. I mean, well, if I'm too worried about it and I'm kind of distracted, sure. But you get the point on that. Yes, Miss Crystal. Gluttony could be a sin. Oh, yes. Any one of those seven. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so we understand that the consequence of some sins, a lot of sin, can affect me physically, right? Obviously, spiritually, all of them are devastating, right? That, that Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, that uh, my sin separates me from God. There, when you understand what the, the of, destruction of sin is like, then, then we'll, we'll do our best to avoid it. But also, how do I respond when I am in sin? That's also equally important. And so we understand that. He'll go on to say in verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save this person that's struggling right here. Now, verse 15, and the prayer of faith and so what is faithful about this person who is sick? Well, what's their faith demonstrated? How is it demonstrated? So the person who's here, they're, they're, they're both sick and in sin. How is their faith demonstrated? Because he says the prayer and faith. Well, that they went to the elders. Prayer of faith. So the elders, okay. The fact that they asked for prayers from the elders shows some faith. Okay. 
So Ms. Libby brings up something we're going to kind of move a little bit toward that's involved, and that's what do the elders of the church and he's going to say the prayer of a righteous person. So it's no longer just the elders. It could be any number of righteous, mature, spiritual people in the body of Christ that I can call on to help pray on my behalf, right? But what faith is demonstrated by the person who is here? What did they do? They called on the elders. That's important. <laughs> the Bible talks about in John chapter 2 or 3, I can't remember. John 3, I think it's 3. About 15 to 18. Where John talks about those who are in darkness love the darkness. Why? Because their sins will not be seen or exposed. Those who are in darkness, a lot of them love the darkness because they do not want to come into the light. When I come into contact with Jesus Christ, it's pretty obvious that Evan is a flawed man. <laughs> it is, and a lot of people do not like that feeling, right? What about us who are Christians, who are children of God? Can we still struggle with that? Absolutely every single day. And so when we're thinking about the end result, that how do I, either I'm the person here, or I'm the person that's going to help bring somebody back to the truth, to bring them back, to, we'll, we'll say this is the end result here, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm a visual guy. But part of that, you can see, is that I'm confessing it to one another, right? Some faith groups have have kind of taken this and ran with it, and that's why you have confessional booths and priests, and only to certain people. And no, it's pretty plain here that it says confess to one another, that, that there are other brothers and sisters in here that I know want the end result, and that is to be in God's presence, in a relationship with Him. And so he says that this person is going to call the elders, and that's the faith displayed that I'm going to call on them. I know I've been struggling. I know it to some degree. I may want to, to, to be hidden. My walls are up. I don't want to be, it to be made known. But it says the confession is done to other people who want the same goal for me as I do for myself. Does that make sense? It's very important. And so he'll say that um, they're going to pray over him rub some oil on them, also to help with the sickness here most likely. In verse um, 15, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. When you think about the connection between a physical sickness and spiritual sickness, sin, it isn't foreign to the Bible, is it? Do you remember, Bible, uh, do you remember Jesus say to the man that was paralyzed? Um, he, says, he says, your sins are forgiven, pick up your pallet and walk. And so um, who else does he say? There's a number of them, right? That he makes the connection that God is going to, Jesus is going to say, your sins have been forgiven. All the while everybody's seeing, well, sins, this guy needs a, a physical healing. And so the connection is there um, a lot throughout scripture. Verse 16, he says, therefore, because there is a connection with sickness to sin, but on the other side, we see that healing forgiveness is obviously what God would have us 
um, have as a remedy for this, he says, therefore, because, because that's our goal, so that we could be brought back to the truth, those who may be wandering away or, or maybe just stuck in that sin and kind of hiding out there, he says, confess your sins to one another. Again, the literal translation would be, make a practice of confessing your sins. Now, that, does that mean that every single day I'm going to go around and say, you know what, uh, I'm sorry, I just don't like you. You know, I'm sorry that uh, I, don't, uh, I, don't, I don't like the way you, you whatever. Uh, I'm sorry that, uh, and just confess everything that's going on up here. Uh, that's probably not wise. But the idea is, if something is causing me to be here, I'm going to talk to somebody about that. And here James will specify who that person should be. If it's not an elder, it should be somebody that's a quote-unquote righteous person, a spiritual person, a mature person. Is there somebody here that you know you can go to that they will do their best to help you to get back to where God wants, wants you to be? There's plenty of people here. And so it isn't just one person, but he says, and this is an imperative, guys, there is no you should, you ought to, you could. It is a command that we are to share those things that are weighing us down and affecting our walk with our Lord. We are to share that so other people can help with that burden. Joshua talked about that idea of bear one another's burdens. Why do we do that? Because that burden, whatever that is, it is too heavy for me to carry myself. It is going to destroy me. And so I need Tammy. I need Aaron. I need Arlinda. I need them to help me carry this load. And I'm sure vulnerability is scary, is it not? I'm sure all of us have been vulnerable with somebody at some point in our life, and we got hurt bad. That's why he says the person you're looking to is a spiritually mature. It is somebody who is righteous. And, and I love the way that... Uh, that somebody said this. Um, his, his, he's a scholar by the name of Linsky. And here's what he said about verse uh, six, uh, 16, that the prayer of a righteous person has great power. He says, the way, that this is you, the way that this is worded in the Greek, it's not that, that righteousness is because this person is a perfect law keeper. It's not what he means. Because he's talking about the prayer of this righteous person, spiritually mature, how might the prayer of a spiritually mature person be different than somebody who isn't, in quite, isn't quite mature yet in the faith? Would there be a difference in the prayer? Yes. Obviously, the Holy Spirit helps intercede with, for us because sometimes we don't know what we want. You know, sometimes we went right up here, prayer requests, and think we know what we want. And we think we know what we need, but the reality is, do we? We don't. And so the Holy Spirit will intercede for us. And if you've heard the phrase, if the Lord wills, basically, God, if it be your will, here's what I'm asking. Now imagine the prayer of a righteous person, a spiritually mature person, going to God on my behalf when I'm here. And how, that, how, do, how that'll be worded, how that'll be phrased. You know, I think about um, when we were, again, going back to when we were um, 
uh, at the hospital and Chase is uh, just going, his health is declining just at a rapid pace. And I remember that um, Josh would pray for us and I remember he would say, obviously we know God knows what we wanted. <laughs> we know what we all want. And that was him to become healed. We wanted him to become like normal again, but it was obvious that that was probably not going to be the outcome. And it became very obvious. And, and you want to keep the faith and you want to make sure you, you don't give up. But I, I remember the prayer, and Josh, he's, he's, he's said this to us numerous times. He's like, I wanted to be careful on how I worded things because I didn't want to make it seem like just because we asked God, he was going to do it. And so I remember the prayer sometimes was, God, if it be your will, we pray for Chase to be healed. And I thought about, why would that be worded that way? There's maturity behind that prayer. Because obviously there are numerous times in, in Scripture where that righteous person did nothing wrong, but God's answer to them was no. Paul prays to God and says, can you take this thorn out of my flesh? Basically, God's answer to him was what? No, you're okay. Jesus in the garden prays to God three times. If there's a way that you can let this cup pass from me, let that be done. And Jesus, God's answer, the Father to the Son, was what? No. And so we understand not every prayer is going to be yes. That's not how it works. So why would he say the prayer of a righteous person has great power? Linsky says the prayer of a spiritual person is powerful, partly because it isn't just what we want, but it also will involve what we need. That that's the prayer of a spiritually mature, somebody's walked with God for a while, and I'm calling on them because I find myself here. I'm going to call them not only just to, to discuss my sin problem, confess that to them, but they're going to go to God on my behalf and they're going to pray for me. That's why it's effective. I'm aligning my, my thought, my thinking with how God works. Does that make sense? And so it's awesome to see. And, and I never picked that out before studying this today. I never picked that out until I'm like, man, that makes so much sense. And then he's going to use Elijah as an example. Finally, in verse, oh, here's one cool thing. So there are numerous times where the word prayer comes up. But when you look in verse number 15, where it says the, righteous, uh, the prayer of a righteous person, that word for prayer is different than all of the other words for prayer. That word is begging. So it isn't just a request. It is a begging. It's a petition. It's, God, I have nothing else. I have nowhere else to go. I I'm pleading with you, God. And so the begging of a righteous person has great power as it is working. How awesome is that? That they're begging on behalf of you to God. You know, I think about so many times we go to everybody but this spiritually mature person, don't we? I'm struggling with sin. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. But I'm going to go to non-Christian friends. I'm going to go to non-Christian family. And I'm going to ask advice from them. All the while, there's so many people around me that God has placed in my life that I could use. And for some reason, we just don't. 
you know, and there's, there's still a lot of reasons, I think, as, as why that is. But I acknowledge who in the congregation are those people, and I'm using those resources. I'm using those resources. Before we finish up, any thoughts or questions? I've done a lot of talking. Russ. Yeah. We you bring up a great point that that we haven't really discussed. But what does Satan want while I'm here? <laughs> stay here. How do I stay here? How does he keep me here? He fools my brain. He fools my thinking. So that I'm not going to do what to what to commands. I'm not going to talk about it to other people. I'm not going to confess it. And I'm also not going to continue making a practice of praying. I'm not talking to other people of God about it. I'm not talking to God about it. I'm going to keep it here. I'm going to keep it in the darkness because I don't want that to be made known. Because if I make it known, I just can't deal with it. Well, when we make it known, guess who we're giving it over to? We're giving it to Him. And he's the one that helps us through it. Mr. Linda, you had something. Just two things. Um, I know, like, earlier, James talks about praying, you know, that it's going to be answered, not with double mind, like a shit tossing in the wind. Yes. If you pray, knowing it's going to be answered, and that's it. You leave that philosophy. And the other thing is the 12 step program with addictions, like our ACA group, everybody's learning. Yep. That's so important. Yeah, and you're right. Earlier in James, he talks about uh, that everybody falls into trials, right? Um, the word for that is many colored sins are trials, many colored, many shaped. They're not all the same. They're different. Some are huge, some are small, some I can get through, some I can't. But they pop up and I'm not expecting it. And he says, but consider that trial, be joyful because it, it'll help you if you let it. Because I lean on God, I will become stronger, I'll become more knowledgeable, I'll become more wise. And he says, if any of you lacks wisdom about the trial, let him ask God, right? Only a few verses later, he says that that asking God involves my studying the word. Let him be quick to hear and slow to speak. Hear what? Hear the word of God. And so in one sense, I'm seeking God's wisdom here. So many people will say, God, I just need an answer. Meanwhile, their Bible's in the closet. It's got dust on all over it. Well, hello, open the, open the word and, and you'll, you'll, you'll get some wisdom. But here's the second half of that is relying on other people that are on the same straight and narrow path as I am that want the same outcome for me as I do for myself. And that's to be with Jesus Christ at the end. And I'm using those two things together. And those are my weapons. Those are my weapons against Satan's his plots. He wants me here. And he wants me to believe all these lies. Um, oh, you can't trust anybody. Um, you know, you're going to be judged. Uh, you're you're going to be hurt. Uh, it's better if you just keep it to yourself. Those are lies from him. 
and therefore I'm not going to do the two imperatives, the two commands in verse 16, to confess it to other folks, but also to pray. Miss Carol? You know, that's so important. I remember at, uh, at Bear Valley, um, a lot of us signed up for this uh, Covenant Eyes. It's a, uh, it's a software program. Um, and basically, those who struggled with uh, maybe uh, going on sites they weren't supposed to be, struggle with pornography, um, they would sign up. And then that, that software will plug in another person. So we would use some of the instructors and say, here, just keep us accountable. So that way, they'd be able to monitor what we're going on. And they'll be alerted if we go anywhere because, you know, a lot of guys um, and women, it's a huge struggle. And again, how am I using the church body to help me accountable? A lot of us sometimes don't like accountability. Well, if I'm going to get out of this, I need to be held accountable, right? And so instead of hiding and saying, oh, I can get through this myself, I've already bought into the lie that I can do this myself. 
And so um, I appreciated things like those feelings, those emotions like, like guilt and like shame. Are those in and of themselves bad? No, those are God's markers He placed in every one of us. If I'm shameful of something, most likely it's what? Most likely it's sin. If I'm embarrassed of something that I've done and try to hide it, most likely that thing is sin. I wouldn't be ashamed of it or guilty of it or embarrassed of it otherwise. And so those are markers within us to say, those are those red blinkers saying, if I'm trying to hide it, if I'm, trying to, if I'm being shameful, man, I need to call somebody, I need to meet, I need to meet with somebody. We have uh, people here who will say, who will just meet with me and say, uh, I just want to talk to you. <laughs> I just want to talk to you and tell you about how I'm doing. And I appreciate that, that we need more of that. Because if we're not that person for one another, we're going to find it somewhere else. And that somewhere else is going to be worldly people. And to them, they're going to be like, oh, you're fine. That's not a big deal. I've already bought into the lie. Yeah, Aaron. Invitation is at the other service. Invitation is extended. Not only do they ask people to come up for it if they want to give themselves to Christ through that time and they're asking for but they also ask if you said you should come for it. And we don't do that anymore. Many congregations don't do that anymore. People don't go for it. They don't understand. There's a difference between public sin and a private sin. Mm -hmm. Public sins, you need to go for it in front of the church. For instance, Missing church because you want to stay home all the time on Sunday. When the Bible says to stay out this Sunday, <clears throat> but you decide, well, I'm not going to church today. I'm, I'm gonna watch TV or whatever. That's a public sin because members of the congregation know you're not there and you're not sick. Yeah. Or a married couple <clears throat> who's having marital problems and they're fighting in the home and police have to come to their home and take them away, one of them away. That's public sin. We never see all that. Mm -hmm. You're supposed to be a member of the church. Things like that, you know, with an invitation extender or, or otherwise, sounds like hey, you should go in front of the church and remember and confess your fault. You don't have to confess what you did, mm -hmm. but you need to confess that you sinned because we all know you did. Yeah. Right, you've already brought shame to the church and brought shame to Christ. And we've been so far away from doing that. We stand in our seats. We don't want to confess our faults one to another. You know, we want to just keep them in ourselves or just one person. No, you sin. Mm -hmm. And by going up forward, what does that do for you? You make a commitment to yeah. the whole congregation, too. It helps you, too. And yeah. I guess you know, this is the person I need to pray for. Yeah. But we, we tend to be getting yeah, that was, those are some of the details, man, that I wish we could get into. 1 Corinthians 5, there was a, uh, a, um, a son who was sleeping with the father's uh, wife, right? And that was public. Everybody knew about it. And 1 Corinthians 5, Paul gets on him and says, you need to disfellowship. You need to pull away so that he misses the communion and the fellowship, but he also misses his relationship with God so that it will cause him the godly sorrow. Godly sorrow is, I'm sorry I sinned against you, God, not I'm sorry I got caught. Worldly sorrow is, I'm sorry I got caught. Godly sorrow is, 
I'm sorry I hurt you, God. Psalm 23, Psalm 32. And that godly sorrow draws you to repentance. And then he'll write again and say, okay, he repented. So you need to do what, church? Welcome him back. And so he's right. There's different ways of confessing, right? He doesn't say exactly how, but, you know, some folks will, will, really, will really make that known as if it's a public sin. Needs to be needs to be made known and, and held accountable. And, uh, and that to be kind of us holding each other accountable because the end goal, again, is I want this. I want this. Okay? Let's get two more. Two more, and then uh, we'll, we'll start. Guys, get some songs ready, and we'll, we'll sing a few. Yeah, Chris. Um, I feel like another really important side of this is because, I mean, find, even finding an accountability partner is terrifying. Is what do we do as a church for our brethren? Because we don't always see things. We don't always hear but there comes a point where you just, like, almost a preventative kind of measures kind of thing. Um, I mean, we see like, a, like a proactive yeah. approach. Uh, we'll see, like, in Matthew when he's talking about the 99 and the 1, it's not that one went away and came back. It's that he went to the 1. Mm-hmm. He went to the 1. And uh, I know Josh gave a lesson about this, I think, last year during the summer, um, about going to the people... Um, who are struggling, but also being wary that you don't get pulled into it too. So yes. you're struggling with lust of the eyes, you're not going to a club to go find sinners. Because at that point you're just feeding your own sin for a righteous reason. Yeah. And going to the people, being smart about it, and it's not, it doesn't have to be a, oh, guess what I found out about this person, because then it turns out into sin, but going to the person being there one-on-one with them and saying, hey, do you need anything? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. And uh, again, another part of that, uh, maybe a different uh, sub-point would be what Jesus says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut that off. If I struggle with uh, being on sites or looking at things I shouldn't, delete your account. You don't need social media. If I struggle with with maybe um, getting caught up with conversations I don't need to be in, Get rid of your phone. Get a flip phone. You know, get, get something that it's better for me to enter into heaven with one hand gone than to me to miss heaven because I did not want to give up this one thing, this one thing I'm holding on. And Jesus says, cut it off, right? And so that's, that's another thing. That's another important uh, aspect. Yeah, D, we'll close this out, and then we'll uh, have a prayer. And then-